Good afternoon. Welcome to the Eco News Report. I'm your host this week, Jennifer Cald, Director of Humboldt Baykeeper. The Eco News Report is brought to you by the North Coast Environmental Center, publisher of our regional environmental newspaper, The Eco News. Today, my guest is Ross Taylor, a locally based fisheries consultant who's here to talk about our Humboldt Bay Mercury Assessment. Thanks so much for being here today, Ross. Thank you for having me. People often ask, is it safe to eat fish from Humboldt Bay? We're here to answer that question, which is generally yes, but of course there are some exceptions. So Ross is our primary consultant on the Humboldt Bay Mercury Assessment, which is funded by a grant from the California EPA, California Environmental Protection Agency, has an environmental justice small grant program. And they awarded a grant in 2016 to Humboldt Baykeeper to look at mercury levels in fish. In 2012, the state had done a survey of coastal fish to look at contaminant levels and found that the highest mercury levels in all of California coastal fish sampled were from leopard shark in Humboldt Bay, which came as a surprise to many people. And then in 2015, we applied for this California Environmental Protection Agency grant. Ross joined the team to do this study because he is an expert fisheries biologist and also an avid fisherman. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, Ross? Sure. I love to fish. I've been fishing since I was a pretty young child. So my passion for fishing and being around water generated an interest in going to school at Humboldt State and getting an undergraduate degree in fisheries management. And five years later, going back and getting my master's degree in fisheries. A lot of my work is focused on salmon and steelhead and watershed restoration. But before joining Baykeeper on this mercury study, I've worked on a couple different studies collecting fish samples to test methyl mercury. one in Mammoth Creek on the east side of the Sierras. And then I worked for the Battelle Memorial Institute that was updating mercury advisory levels for sport fishing nationwide. And we sampled several lakes in California and eastern Oregon for them. As people probably know, mercury in fish is is not a thing that's restricted to Humboldt Bay. Certainly not. It's very widespread. In fact, it's the, the way most people are exposed to mercury is through eating fish. And that's pretty commonly known. Most places in coastal areas or lakes and reservoirs and often rivers as well have what are called mercury advisories or fish consumption advisories. They're not always for mercury. There are other contaminants as well. But, you know, you may have seen the signs at a fishing pier that say, don't eat this fish. And, you know, this fish is safe to eat. Of course, there's other reasons to not eat fish based on the impacts to the fisheries populations and that sort of thing. But what we're here to talk about is the human health impacts of eating fish that has varying levels of mercury in it. You might wonder what the the big deal about mercury is. Why are we so concerned about mercury exposure? And the bottom line is it's a very powerful neurotoxin, and children are especially sensitive to it, including fetuses. And so it's it's really critical for pregnant women or even women who are thinking of or planning on getting pregnant to start thinking about which fish they're eating. It's important to note that fish are really healthy food as long as they're not high in mercury. They're really good for your heart. The omega-3s are really good for your brain. And so oftentimes pregnant women are advised to take fish oil capsules. But you really need to look at the label and make sure those those capsules are tested for contaminants like mercury. A lot of times they'll just say tested for heavy metals, third party tested for purity, that kind of thing. 
at lower levels, mercury exposure can cause things like fatigue, muscle and joint pain, headaches, depression, memory loss, tremors of the hands, and tingling around the mouth. So those are lower levels. And as you can imagine, a lot of people are probably thinking, well, I have like four of those. (laughs) So what do I do? The main thing to do first is think about how much fish you eat and which fish you tend to eat. And we'll talk about which fish are best choices and which ones to avoid in a little bit. At higher levels of exposure to mercury, the symptoms can include loss of coordination, blurred vision or blindness, and hearing and speech impediment. Did I say memory loss? I forgot. I Just kidding. <laughs> but in children and fetuses, it can cause severe learning disabilities in really high exposure levels. At lower levels, it can cause slight decreases in learning abilities, language schools, attention, or memory function. So really important for healthy, growing brains to not be exposed to mercury. Part of the reason why the California EPA Environmental Justice Program is interested in mercury exposure is that the populations that are most vulnerable, of course, include people who eat a lot of fish. And those populations often include certain communities like the Hmong community, other Asian communities, tribal members, people who have low incomes, and so they just go and fish a lot to feed their families. But surprisingly, one of the groups that's also very vulnerable is people with high incomes because they can afford the really expensive fish, like some of the really high-grade sushi fish, and they can afford to eat it a lot. And so this has been an issue in the San Francisco Bay Area, some doctors have noticed once they start testing the blood of their patients, surprisingly high levels of mercury. Oh, and I also want to mention, I I spoke during this study to a fisherman in Shelter Cove who was seeing a doctor because he just wasn't feeling well. He was just feeling run down and couldn't figure out why. And she tested his hair and found that he had high levels of mercury. And he told me that he was eating rockfish three to four times a week from Shelter Cove. So he stopped doing that. He was canning and freezing a lot of fish. And so he was just, you know, subsisting off a ton of fish. He stopped doing that. And the good news is within three months, your blood levels of mercury go down once you change your diet and start eating healthier fish or avoiding the the high mercury fish. So the first step in getting this study design set up was really consulting with you, Ross, to figure out which species we should be sampling and why. So why don't you talk a little bit about that, which species we were looking to sample and why we were choosing those fish. Sure. Well, first of all, I read the report compiled by the state in 2012 that looked at uh, species coastwide, and we narrowed it down to a handful of species common in Humboldt Bay. And some of the criteria that the state used, which we also followed, was are they a commonly fished for species that people commonly keep and eat? Are they long-lived species that have the potential to have higher mercury levels? And we also wanted to look at some fish that have been tested regionally throughout California so we could look at regional differences for the similar species of fish. And so we came up with a list of fish that included leopard shark, bat rays, California halibut, lingcod, black rockfish, walleyed surf perch, jack smelt, We also tested three species of clams that are commonly harvested in the south part of Humboldt Bay, and we had assistance with the Wiat tribe in collecting these samples. And we also sampled some of the cultured oysters from Humboldt Bay. 
When we were starting this study, and we were really just starting to figure out how are we going to get the fish, because I really wanted to be sampling fish that people were eating, not just going out and and killing fish for science. And so the original plan was to have like a $50 reward to fishermen who would bring them in. But then we realized that because of the handling methods that are required, that that wouldn't really work because you can't just throw a bunch of fish in a bucket or a cooler like people tend to do and mix their blood and stuff and then sample them because you don't really know why you're sampling. Actually, a game warden from the California Department of Fish and Wildlife called and he had heard that we were going to do this reward program before we even really told anybody. I don't know how that happened, but I've learned fishermen have a lot of time to tell stories and they really get into a lot of storytelling, although I noticed some are very quiet too. But (laughs) anyway, so the game warden recommended that we charter Phil Glenn's boat and get a bunch of fishermen to go out on the boat because the California halibut were biting in July 2016, right when we were starting the study. And I, I remember the previous year, there weren't really very many California halibut. So we hit the ground running, got to get out and get the halibut. So why don't you talk a little bit about that and how we got the volunteers to fish for science? Sure, sure. So first of all, it was really important reading some of the past studies that the the handling and the processing of individual fish that would be tested, it was very important to keep them separate and take the samples with clean knives, with a clean cleaning facility, and bagging and tagging the samples. And so we quickly realized that just having fishermen catch fish, like Jen said, mixed in a cooler with a bunch of other fish was not the protocol to use to get results that we would be confident in. So yeah, we started looking at chartering Phil Glenn's boat to do a charter on the bay. And Jen asked me, do you think you can get five people that want to go on a fishing trip for free? (laughs) I'm like, I can get you a waiting list of people that want to go fishing for free. So we spent two days on the bay with Phil, and we caught pretty much all the halibut we needed, five different fish, and we caught a couple bat rays and one of the leopard sharks in the bay. And so we had four people that were fishing, and then myself and Jen were processing samples when we got the fish. We would take a length measurement, total weight of the fish, some photographs. We'd clean it on a clean surface. Typically, the sample was about 8 to 12 ounces of skin flesh. That would be typical of what you would cook up, and we would bag those and tag them and weigh the sample and put them on ice in a cooler. At the end of the day, they would go in a freezer, and then periodically we would send bulks of samples to a laboratory for testing for both the total mercury in the fish as well as the methylated mercury. And the methyl mercury is the toxic form of mercury. Most studies, though, report results in total mercury because most fish, the methyl mercury can be anywhere from about 85 to over 95% of the total mercury value, and it provides a little more conservative values in making health advisory recommendations. It's also a little bit cheaper, I believe, to test just for total mercury, although I did find with the help of waterkeepers around the U.S. who've done these studies before, I found a lab in Washington that would give us a, a lower rate because we're a nonprofit. So that was really fantastic. And they sampled for both methyl and total mercury, even though they only charged us for the total mercury because they just wanted to make a contribution to the study, which was fantastic. 
And so areas that we fished in Humboldt Bay varied. We did quite a bit of fishing north of the Samoa Bridge. That's where we captured most of our California halibut, our bat rays, and leopard shark. And then in the mid part of the bay around some of the uh, docks and pilings, which you often see shore-based fishermen fishing off of, we caught our jack smelt and surf perch. And then we fished along the jetties at the entrance of the bay for our lingcod and black rockfish. Right. And we added the the data from Humboldt Baykeepers 2005 study as well to our results, which you can go onto our website and, and have a look at. The 2005 Mercury study just looked at lingcod from Cape Mendocino down by Shelter Cove, and it looked at Chinook salmon from the ocean off the coast of Humboldt Bay. So, you know, we were focusing entirely on fish people would catch from Humboldt Bay and eat. But that is not to say that these are resident fish necessarily. I believe the leopard shark are somewhat resident, but the other fish don't live out their entire life cycle here in Humboldt Bay. Correct. You had mentioned how the California halibut fishery was quite good in 2016, and it was the same way in 2017. And they typically are in the near shore waters of the ocean and come into bays when there's food to eat. And both of those summers, there was lots of anchovies and other types of bait fish that entered Humboldt Bay and stayed in the bay. Thus, the halibut came in and were feeding on those bait fish. Leopard shark tend to be resident to areas of bays, and they're also a long-lived fish, thus why they tend to test fairly high in mercury. Right. I want to make the distinction here that, you know, we are not looking at the Humboldt Bay sediments or the water column for mercury for this study. This is exclusively fish and shellfish tissue that we're looking at for a human health study. But Darren Ward, who's a professor here at Humboldt State University, has done quite a bit of mercury research looking at sediment and the invertebrates and and small fish, not necessarily what people are eating, but what we eat is eating. Sure, it forms the basis Um, of the food chain for the the sport caught fish that humans are consuming. Right. But his studies have been on the East Coast of the United States. And so I've spoken with him quite a bit. And in fact, he was one of our volunteer fishermen for science who came out and caught some halibut and um, let us borrow the HSU cold storage freezer to store our samples for a while before we shipped them off. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to the Eco News Report. I'm your host, Jen Colt with Humboldt Baykeeper, and my guest is Ross Taylor, a locally-based fisheries consultant who's talking about our Humboldt Bay mercury assessment. So another thing that often comes up is, you know, well, where is the mercury coming from? Although we don't know of any local source of mercury contamination, It's deposited in the atmosphere from coal-burning power plants all over the world. And so, you know, the mercury gets deposited from the atmosphere as it's, you know, basically traveling around the world. It lasts in the atmosphere for up to one year, and then it's deposited. And then in areas like reservoirs are possibly, this is part of the reason that Humboldt, Humboldt Bay has all these really biologically active mudflats and and the mercury gets methylated and turned into a biologically available form, which is what's toxic, by the bacteria in the mud. There's other sources, though, so we don't think there's any history of gold mining or mercury mining here in the Eel or Mad Rivers or the Humboldt Bay area, but why don't you talk a little bit about the source of mercury in the Sierras? 
Sure. So the work I did in the Mammoth Creek on the east side of the Sierras, they were finding fairly high levels of mercury, both in the water samples, and then they tested some of the the native brown trout, the naturally reproducing brown trout, and found levels that were of concern for people eating fish there. And it's it's a watershed that had gold mining in the past, and they were using mercury to leach gold out of the soils and the, and the dredge sediments from Mammoth Creek itself. I also did some work with the Battelle Memorial Institute, and we tested largemouth bass from Lake Berryessa and Clear Lake. And both of those lakes had active mercury mines near the lake that when the settling ponds would overflow during rainstorms, it was introducing mercury directly to those water bodies. And a third way that you can get mercury into methylated mercury forming would be an example where we tested the Oahe Reservoir in eastern Oregon. Mercury was naturally in the sediments of the Oahe River Valley. They built a large dam, flooded the river valley, thus contacting the mercury naturally in the sediments of the river valley to the bottom of the reservoir. It methylated and entered the food chain and started affecting the the top predators such as largemouth bass in that water body. Yeah, and that exact scenario is what happened at Ruth Lake as well. So basically, you have mercury, elemental mercury in the rock, which is not biologically active or available and thus not poisonous. And then you blast that rock and turn it into a mud-bottomed reservoir. And what happens is those bacteria methylate the elemental mercury and make it biologically available. So Ruth Lake bass are also quite high in mercury, and people should be really cautious about eating those. So that's a good segue into the results from our Humboldt-based study as far as how the fish tested. The mercury bioaccumulates in a fish, so the longer a fish lives and the higher it feeds trophically on the food chain, the more likelihood that type of fish is going to accumulate higher amounts of mercury in its system. Thus, the one legal-sized leopard shark that we caught and tested was the highest fish in our study as far as mercury levels. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency has set limits that are different for women of childbearing age and children versus men and women beyond childbearing age, so women over 45 45. or so. And that's basically because if you can become pregnant or will become pregnant, you want to really avoid mercury exposure because of the potential harm to the fetus. You know, it's important to recognize, though, that these levels are based on the average white American, typically, and the studies are often failing to recognize the frequency with which a lot of different communities eat fish, like especially in tribal communities, there are a lot of people who eat fish many times a week, you know, and it's a a major food source for them. And so the levels are set at what they're set at, and you should be a little cautious of that. But in any case, with mercury, there's two different levels. So the leopard shark, as you mentioned, that we tested in Humboldt Bay, no surprise, very high in mercury. It's in the do not consume level for everyone. 
So don't eat shark is the message we're sending here. If there's one thing you take home from this study, don't eat shark. And that goes for shark in restaurants as well. I mean, shark are just long-lived fish that are predators. They eat high on the food chain. Any fish that eats another fish is typically going to have more mercury accumulating in in its tissue. The good news, though. The good news. news. Sure, there is good news. So the fish that we looked at that were low or moderately low, so we're talking one serving a week not being a problem, were most of the California halibut that we tested, smaller lingcod under 10 pounds, and then, of course, the all the clam species, the jack smelt and the surf perch were low in mercury as well, and the black rockfish that we caught off the south and north jetties were low in mercury as well. Interestingly, lingcod can be moderately high in mercury levels, especially the larger fish. As Jen mentioned earlier, we included some 2005 data from down on the Cape Mendocino, and the lingcod that were in the 20 to 25-pound range were in the do-not-consume-for-children and women of childbearing age, and they were in the no more than one meal per week for adult men and women older than age 45. And I know lingcod is something that people really like to fish for and catch and consume. They're an excellent table fish. So if you like catching and eating lingcod, I would really recommend that you limit your intake of larger fish. I interviewed some of my friends that I fished with, and they like the 8 to 12-pound lingcod as far as the texture of the flesh and the taste of the flesh versus the really big fish that also tend to be females that are important to the spawning recruitment to the lingcod populations. Right. So it's better for people who eat fish and it's better for the lingcod themselves if you don't eat those larger fish. And this is consistent with a study in Alaska that was done, a much larger study that involved not just fish samples, but hair samples from people all over the state of Alaska. Their study found that the bigger lingcod had you know, moderately high levels of mercury and that they should be avoided for women of childbearing age and children. Generally speaking, every time I hear people talk about bait fish, I think about the fact that a lot of people regard these small fish that are very low in mercury really good for you to eat. They regard those as the stuff you use for bait to catch a lingcod. In fact, our study showed that the smelt, surf perch, anchovies, sardines, and black rockfish, they're all low enough in mercury. You can eat those two or three times a week. And it's, you know, really good for you. Can those fish, freeze them, you know, don't just regard them as bait fish that aren't worth eating. And lingcod are relatively long-lived fish, especially the larger ones. We're talking 14 to 18 years of age, and they eat other fish, and larger lingcod eat rockfish. And there's other species of rockfish that we did not test in Humboldt Bay because they're not present at the jetties, but they're commonly caught out of Trinidad or Shelter Cove or at Cape Mendocino that are high in mercury. They're the long-lived, bottom-dwelling rockfish, such as copper rockfish, gopher rockfish, and china rockfish. 
rockfish. And so if you think of a lingcod eating high mercury rockfish, of course, they're going to bioaccumulate that flesh as well. And what was interesting from one of the studies that was done by the state is that species of rockfish like black rockfish and blue rockfish are considered pelagic where they feed mid-water column. And so they're eating different organisms than the bottom-dwelling rockfish. And they typically tend to have lower mercury for the same-sized fish such as the copper and gopher rockfish. Interesting. Did not know that. So two critters that people eat a lot that we haven't talked about, and I want to be sure to talk about are Dungeness crab and albacore. Dungeness crab have been tested elsewhere, and they're found to be low in mercury. And then albacore is one that, you know, a lot of people think of canned tuna from Southeast Asia, which tend to be the really big old fish as being high in mercury. But if you notice, you can buy low mercury albacore in cans that's locally caught here near Humboldt Bay, you know, offshore. And other people have tested these albacore. And my understanding is they tend to be younger fish. Correct. So when you're buying the low mercury fish in a can that's caught, you know, off the coast of Humboldt Bay, those are presumably the smaller albacore that they put in those cans and then maybe the bigger ones. So the the message here is if you go to down to the docks and buy one of those albacore, which is actually my favorite fish to eat around here, when people are catching the albacore and selling them and you can just go and buy a fish, don't pick the biggest one. <laughs> That's the message. Well, typically the albacore that we catch here off of our fishery are the younger, smaller fish. So we're talking 10 up to 25 or 30 pounds is still considered a small, young albacore. When they complete their life cycle, they, they migrate north and west and then end up south down near the equator when they're spawning and breeding at about 60 to 80 or 90 pounds. So they're much larger, much older fish then, and they have accumulated mercury. And one one fish that you didn't mention is wild-caught salmon off of our coast. They are very low in mercury as well. Again, a short-lived fish, so they don't have a long life history to bioaccumulate mercury in their systems. Right, and the Baykeeper study in 2005 looked at Chinook salmon and found that their levels of mercury are so low, they're safe to eat 12 times a month. So that's what the government agencies consider tribal or subsistence level of consumption, 12 times a month. That's a lot. Another part of our study is we did angler surveys, and we had a lot of help from other waterkeepers and, and other nonprofits around the country who've done angler surveys, and the point being to try and understand what people are eating, how they're eating it. So the state agency that does the fish consumption advisories just put out an advisory saying how dangerous it is to eat very many of those species. So that's why we included bat ray in our study, but we found from our angler surveys that no people said they eat bat ray. We also found in our angler surveys that very few people say that they eat leopard shark on a regular basis. So we really want to hear from you. If you eat leopard shark from Humboldt Bay, we have an angler survey on our website, and it's in both English and Spanish. Go to our website and download that survey and just either print it out or email us, mail it to us, just call us, whatever. We really want to hear from people who are eating leopard shark from Humboldt Bay. But the way we did our angler survey was Jasmine Segura, who's Baykeeper's bilingual 
bilingual boat tours coordinator, went down to the Del Norte Street Pier in Eureka, the Mad River Slough Bridge, and the North Jetty on a regular basis and just interviewed people about what they were catching, what they were fishing for, and pretty much to a person, they all said they were going to eat what they caught. A lot of people are fishing off the piers for Dungeness crab. And you often hear multiple languages being spoken. I want to let people know that our report will be available around the end of April. We'll be posting it on the Humboldt Baykeeper website, and we will also be publicizing it on Facebook. And if you want to sign up for emails so that you can find out when that report will be available, you can send an email to us at alerts at humboldtbaykeeper.org. Just to wrap up and summarize here, I want to say that eating fish is really good for you in general. And so a good general rule, whether the fish is from the bay, the store, or a restaurant, is to eat one serving of fish per week, unless you know of a reason not to, like a fish advisory. And, you know, one thing that I encourage people not to do is just say, I'm just not eating fish because I don't know. And that's unfortunately what happens with a lot of women when they are pregnant. You know, they hear from doctors the dangers of mercury exposure and they just stop eating fish. And I talked to a friend who used to eat a lot of fish before she was pregnant, stopped eating fish entirely, and then she had low iron levels. And her doctor told her, well, you should, if you like oysters and mussels, you should eat them because they're very low in mercury and high in iron. And so, you know, the bottom line is fish are good for you. Just pay attention to where your fish comes from. I'd just like to add that I think like most things in life, consuming it in moderation is a good rule of thumb. And again, just being aware of what species you're eating, a species like lingcod, what size of fish you're eating if you know that if you've caught it or a friend of yours has caught it and provided you some to cook up. All right. Thanks so much for being here, Ross. And thank you so much for all of your work on this study. There's no way we could have done it without you. My pleasure. It's a fun study to work on. And hopefully this information will help a lot of people uh, make good decisions. And hopefully we can get it back out on the water soon. This has been the Eco News Report. My name is Jennifer Colt with Humboldt Baykeeper, and I've been your host for the past half hour. I was speaking with Ross Taylor, local fisheries consultant, about our Humboldt Bay Mercury Assessment. If you have any questions or comments about this program, please call the listener comment line at 826-6089. If you'd like to replay the interview or share it with others, you can go to the KHSU archives at khsu.org, and also we podcast at iTunes, where you can subscribe and get all the Eco News reports. The Eco News Report is produced at Humboldt State University in cooperation with the North Coast Environmental Center. Many thanks, as always, to Fred McLaughlin for engineering. Join us again next week for the Eco News Report.